Our gospel lesson is from John chapter 1, verses 29 through 37. Listen now to the word of the Lord. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Come, Holy Spirit, come and uh, soften our hearts, enlarge our minds, our understanding to your word. We thank you today for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for the Lamb of God. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Bishop Will Willimon is uh, one of my favorite writers and preachers. I've followed him since he was uh, a young man, and I was just getting started, started in ministry. Taught at Duke University at the Divinity School for many years. Don't hold that against him. Uh, I know there are a lot of Duke haters in Kentucky. But uh, anyway, he also was elected bishop and uh, is now retired and back in North Carolina. But he tells about a visit to a superstore, kind of like a big mega Walmart and he was making his way from the automotive center to the peanut butter section of the store. He said, I'd already walked about a half a mile. And he passed through the uh, se section of the store that was devoted to hunting and to guns and, and archery and all those kinds of things. And there was a video set up, a, a television that was showing... Um, uh, a video on deer hunting. How many deer hunters do we have here this morning? Yeah, you were just deer hunting this weekend, weren't you, Clinton? Uh, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago. And, um, and there was this video on deer hunting, and um, <laughs> Will Willman said he paused and watched this woman who had her child with her as they passed by, and, and the child was kind of taken with the, with the presentation, and the mother soon, soon realized that this was not a good thing for her to see, because I think the deer had been killed and it was, they're getting ready to you know, do what they do with deer after they've been shot. And uh, she said, come on, honey, we don't want to watch this. And then they made their way to the, uh, to the hamburger franchise, which was in the back of the store. And Will Willeman said, I have no doubt that the woman understood the irony of the situation as much as I did. Reverse the roles and I would have done the same thing. Yes, we know where meat in the supermarket comes from. We just don't want to think about it too much. 
And then he went on to say, we are comfortable with our sterile environment, our overly sanitized culture. We like it this way. Death no longer happens at home. At one time, slaughtering animals for food or gathering around a relative's deathbed were considered commonplace in most families. No more. I remember when I was preparing for ministry as a licensed local pastor attending the course of study school at Candler uh, School of Theology at Emory University. And um, I had a professor, this has been like 35 years ago, and I had a professor who told this class of local pastors that Christianity needed to lose its obsession with blood. He called Christian faith a slaughterhouse religion. It was primitive and offensive, he said. We need a new way of talking about the love of God without ever mentioning blood. He said, talk about the metaphor of the resurrection if you want and the hope that, that God brings with new life. He said, but stay away from that bloody mess of a cross. Fleming Rutledge was invited to preach at a suburban Episcopal church in Connecticut many years ago on Good Friday. And she was greeted by the priest. He said to her, I hope you're not going to say anything about the blood. When the Lord gave instructions in the Old Testament on how to worship Him to His people Israel, as Scott shared with the kids this morning, in, in an effective way, without being too graphic. The fact is, God instructed them to take animals into the temple, doves, lambs, and bulls, and slaughter them there. Can you imagine? I mean, we really don't even want to think about what it was like as blood was poured over the altar, as flesh was burned in the fire. It was a bloody mess. But the Lord says, this is what I require of you. Or go even further back to the Passover, the great salvation event of the Jews in the Old Testament. God said, to save yourselves from death, you must take a lamb, slaughter it, brush its blood all around the door to your house so that the death angel will pass over you. When John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, he cried out, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What do you think people heard when John the Baptist spoke those words? He wasn't talking about a cute little stuffed animal that Scott had tucked under his arm this morning. Uh... He was not talking about a nursery rhyme. Mary had a little lamb whose fleece was white as snow. No, he was talking about bloodletting, about sacrifice, about death. Worship among Jews and Christians has always been a bloody mess. Our sin is so great and our salvation so costly, something or someone had to die to pay the price. Now, like it or not, that is Christianity. 
That is Judaism. There are 40 hymns in the United Methodist hymnal that contain the word blood in their lyrics. We sang two of them with the band this morning and then a third one after the pastoral prayer. If you took a pair of scissors and you cut out all the, the references to blood in your Bible, it would be a tattered mess. There, there are over 400 references to blood in the Old and New Testament. Over 400, and there are nearly that many that refer to the practice of sacrificial uh, killing of animals. The blood is the scarlet thread that binds together all of the scriptures in the story of redemption. Uh, as one person said, you cut the Bible and it bleeds. It's a bloody mess. When Billy Graham started preaching 70 years ago, some of us are old enough to remember that, a professor from Cornell University wrote him a letter and said, Mr. Graham, you have a great talent and you have what it takes to be a successful minister. But if you want to continue to be successful, you are going to have to leave out the preaching on the blood. It is out of date and no enlightened man of the 20th century will swallow it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, the Gospels all tell us that when Jesus shared a final meal with his disciples in the upper room, he, he took what we believe to be the cup of, of, of redemption, a cup of wine from the Passover meal, and he said, swallow this. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. Leave out the blood? I mean, what happens medically? if you take the blood out of someone's body. We, we all understand that, that if you lose too much blood, you will die. We see it in the operating room, uh, when someone's undergoing a very complex surgery that goes wrong. We, we see it on the battlefield when someone is mortally wounded in, conda, in, in combat. Uh, after the first service this morning, someone told me about her good friend, longtime friend, whose daughter, about 20 years of age, was murdered this past week, who bled to death in Louisville, shot while she was in her car. So we understand that blood is vital to, to our lives. And if you take the blood out of the body of Christ, it will also die. Remove the blood and the Christian gospel dies. We, we haven't got anything to preach. Love without the shedding of blood is sentimentality. Remove the blood and the hope of cleansing dies. Remove the blood, the hope of forgiveness dies. Remove the blood and the life of Jesus in us dies. If you remove the blood of Jesus from our experience, our conversation, our life together as the body of Christ, then, then the very power of God is drained out of the followers of Jesus. This is the teaching of the New Testament. Um, the New Testament says that blood cleanses us. 1 John 1, 7 states quite emphatically, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. But how can this be? I mean, we all know that blood stains, doesn't it? And if you don't handle it properly, if you don't like run it, as my wife has taught me, if you don't run blood stains, fresh blood stains under cold water, 
uh, they won't come out. They sit and they stay there. Does this frequent reference to blood make Christianity, as my professor at Emory said, primitive and, um, and out of touch with modern culture? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. By the way, it is so ironic that we live in a day when horror films, and I am not a fan, <laughs> you will not see me at a horror film, ever, okay? The, the, the scary movies I watched when I was a child were on the big show on, on school days after I got home. It came on at 4 o'clock every afternoon. They were all in black and white. So, you know, there was no blood. And if it was, it didn't look like blood. But, but uh, in the case of this one symbol, in this, this one symbol, blood, modern medicine has discovered in the last 100 years what, to me, illustrates uh, an understanding of cleansing and forgiveness and, and new life that could not be more appropriate than through blood. Um, it's, it's really quite powerful. The, the writers of the Old Testament and the New Testament alike could not have possibly understood the science and the physiology behind this metaphor of blood. But God most certainly did. I mean, God chose a symbol uh, for forgiveness, for cleansing, for new life that has an exact parallel in the medical world, in our physical bodies. Listen to this. Your heart, in the course of a normal lifespan, will beat 2.5 billion, with a B, billion times. You can't count that high. I mean, you, you don't live long enough to count that high. Your heart is beating every second or so, 2.5 billion times in the course of your life. And with every beat of your heart, life-giving red blood cells travel through your bloodstream, carrying oxygen to every cell in your human body. And, and this oxygen is converted to energy by your blood cells. It's why you can move and breathe and get out of bed and do anything that you do. It's an exchange that takes place every time your heart beats where the red blood cells drop off life-giving oxygen and take away through a process, a chemical process of gas diffusion and transfer, um, all of these toxins, carbon dioxide, urea and uric acid that are the waste products of metabolic activity in the human body. God's pretty smart, isn't he? I mean, it's amazing. There's constantly a trash truck that is picking up waste from every cell in your body through your red blood cells, taking it to one of two locations where, where it's expelled. One is through respiration. You breathe in oxygen and you breathe out carbon dioxide, right? So carbon dioxide is poisonous to us if it stays in our system when we have no oxygen to replace it. So you breathe out some of that and the rest of it you take to the restroom. It's in your urine. And that is what keeps you alive every single day. I have a friend who was recently diagnosed with a rare blood disease that eventually will kill him. Doctors tell him that his body may soon stop making 
red blood cells to sustain life. He was having a routine physical, some blood work done, and that's how this was discovered. Um, he's been told that his heart eventually will fail as well as all the systems of his body, his organs, because they won't get enough oxygen, because he won't have enough red blood cells, and there is absolutely nothing they can do about it. He is incurably sick in his blood. As we reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus, this blood metaphor offers a fresh and enlightening perspective, I believe, on the problem of sin. One that can help modern people who are offended by this blood aspect of our salvation, of our gospel. Uh, forgiveness through the blood of Jesus uh, cleanses away all those things that hinder our spiritual health. Um, it's just like the blood through your veins uh, carries that waste, that guilt, that shame, that failure away once and for all. Hebrews 9.22 says that the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin. Without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. Hear that. Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But not only that, the blood Jesus shed gives us life. As most of you know, um, our son Jared is now a trauma and critical care surgeon. He sees a lot of blood in the emergency department and in the OR. And when we first moved to Georgetown... Over 12 years ago, he was just starting med school. And just last summer, he finished all those years of training, 12 years of training. And I tell him he's finally bona fide. It took a long time to get there. But surgeons understand that the loss of blood is loss of life. You would, you would never attempt surgery unless you just had no other choice without access to cross-matched blood. It's standing by. It's there for you. Controlling bleeding is critical to success while performing surgery. If too much blood is lost, the surgeon begins to lose the patient. Literally, life just drains away. It leaks out of the body to the point of no return, and the individual dies. And why is this? Because life is in the blood. This is what the Bible teaches as well. When Jesus invites us to drink the cup that is the new covenant of his blood in Holy Communion, we believe in our tradition that, that God in Holy Communion, in this meal of remembrance, is offering us a means of his grace, a way to receive a healing and comfort and strength. And, and grace and mercy and forgiveness. There is a spiritual transaction that is taking place there. We come by faith and because of His goodness and His love and His grace, He gives us what we need. And that's why communion should not be avoided by people, for heaven's sakes. I know people that say that they don't come to church on communion Sunday. Lord, have mercy on them. It's more than just a meal of remembrance. It's a way of receiving from God. It's, it's kind of a transfusion of God's power and of His grace into our lives. One of the most offensive statements that, 
that Jesus ever uttered according to the Gospel of John chapter 6 were these words. He said to the crowd, and they got very upset with him, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. He says, the one who feeds on me will live because of me. John cried out, here is the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, Christ, our Passover, our Passover Lamb has been sacrificed for us. The early Christians who celebrated Passover. They were all Jews initially, and they continued to observe the Jewish feast as many Messianic Jews today do. Uh, when they celebrated Passover and they were in the temple worshiping with others, they saw the sacrifices and they would have understood this connection. Do we? And not only do we understand it, do we embrace it? Do we own it as part of our message as, as a church? Do we help people to understand the answer to the questions that were in the songs that the guys were singing a few moments ago? Are you washed in the blood, the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are you? Are you? What can wash away my sin? What can wash away your past? Uh, your disappointments? your grief, your sorrows, the things that pull you down, that weigh you down, that keep you from living an abundant life. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Would you be free from the burdens of sin, from the shame of, of your past? Uh, from, from all that you have failed to be and do that God has purposed for you, would you be free from those burdens of sin? There is power, where? In the blood. There is power in the blood. You know, the Brits have an expression. Shows up in movies occasionally. It's considered a curse nowadays where they say bloody hell. You've heard that, haven't you? Yeah, Americans don't really use that expression. But uh, it originated back in the 1600s, I learned this past week. And originally, they, these words were kind of the euphemism for the blood of Christ. It was considered sacrilegious to speak of the blood of Christ. It, it's kind of like the Jews in the name of God in the Old Testament. It was considered too holy. So they began to say bloody, and over time it became bloody hell. And it went from being an expression of awe and worship to one of, of anger and disgust. And so now someone says bloody hell uh, in Great Britain, they're usually cursing. It's an expression that, that is really talking about the messiness of life, the disappointments of life, about how someone has crossed you in a bad way. It, it is a form of cursing. I've been noticing down here on the carpet in the front, you can come down and look after the service if you want to, but there's just, it, it's getting really kind of nasty looking. And uh, there are lots of spots of spilled juice where you've come down over the years, nearly 30 years, 
and you have taken a, that piece of bread and dipped it in the cup and some of it has dripped off as you've tried to take it into your life and it's just left kind of a spotted mess down here. And I was thinking, you know, that we really need to try to clean that up. That's so unsightly. And I thought even better, this carpet's what, almost 30 years old? We just need to replace it, put something new down. And then this week, it actually occurred to me that that's not such a bad thing. That things are not perfect and sterile in the sanctuary. Because <laughs> the fact is, life is messy. Worship in the Old Testament was unspeakably messy. It was a bloody mess. And in the New Testament, the act of redemption as betrayed for us, for example, in the Passion of the Christ many years ago, was so utterly gory and graphic and violent that, that many people couldn't stand to see it. They, the critics said that it ruined the movie, that it, it, it was just too realistic. Crucifixion was too gory, too bloody. But the fact is, that is life in this world, is it not? That is the nature of life. I, I have a friend who recently started to AA, and I was talking to him about his experience going to those meetings. I've talked to others about this over the years. And he told me, he said, you know, pastor, he said, almost everybody there is a mess. And he says, it, you know, they can drive up in luxury cars or in, in an old beat-up pickup truck that's barely, barely moving doesn't matter. We're all, you know, kind of on level ground. We're sitting in a circle and we're acknowledging the fact that alcohol has overpowered us, that we're helpless, that we're addicts, that, that we need strength from a power greater than ourselves if we're ever going to be set free. He acknowledged that, that people, um, people need, desperately need to be set free. And we're, we look a little bit more respectable, but the fact is, many of us, our lives are a mess. They really are. They're a bloody mess. The sacrifice of Jesus was a bloody mess. And it was that way to deal with the mess of your life and mine. And so we are at this place where in our weakness and our helplessness and in our struggle, we just cry out, look, look, it's Jesus. It's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and who also takes away my sin. Because His blood has been applied to my life and to my heart, He passes over me. He, he doesn't judge me. He, he, he doesn't write me off. Instead, He offers me life. New life. Eternal life. And that is why we should treasure so much this title for Jesus. The Lamb of God. Now I want to lead you in a prayer. And as I do, we'll prepare to sing our closing song. But if you are here today and and this message has penetrated you in some way. You, you, you identify with, with some aspect of this. Then, then I pray that in this moment as we sing, that you will surrender yourself in a new way, perhaps for the first time, to the Lordship of the Lamb of God, 
who takes away the sin of the world. And not only the sin of the world, but your sin as well. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come and minister to us in this morning. Come and show us that, that you have the remedy for the struggle, for the mess of our lives. Thank you for the bloody mess of your cross. Thank you for the blood that was shed to wash me clean and give me new life. And it's in your name I pray.